Hey folks, welcome back to the No Huddle Show podcast. I'm your host, Mike K, Eagles beat reporter for NJ.com. I'm here with fellow NJ Advanced Media Eagles beat writer, Chris Franklin. How you doing today, Chris? Well, it's been an interesting. I'm doing all right. I uh, can't say it's been a, a, a dearth of news coming out of Lincoln Financial Field today with everything going on. But other than that, so everything's going well. <laughs> yeah, seriously slow news day for us on our end. You know, nothing. There were birds in the sky. There was sun up in the sky. A lot of stuff going on in the sky. But actually, you know, as we joke, there's a lot going down on the ground as well. Unfortunately, uh, the Eagles have lost, re- have reportedly lost Andre Dillard for the season due to a biceps tear that he suffered Thursday during practice. Now we're recording this a couple hours later. Uh, look, Andre Dillard's injury is a really, really, really tough blow for the Eagles. While he wasn't performing probably as well as you would expect or as consistently as you would expect as a second year, uh, first round pick, um, you know, he was a, he's a guy that they view as their future at left tackle. They brought back Jason Peters to be the starting right guard and, you know, he's looked okay at the position. Dillard's look okay at left tackle. And now with Dillard going down, that kind of puts, you know, a monkey wrench to the whole, hey, we're going to try Jason Peters at a new position and we're going to give Andre Dillard a shot uh, outlook for the Eagles. Uh, Presumably, Jason Peters will move back to left tackle. Matt Pryor will now move to right guard. Um, You know, Look, the Eagles don't have great offensive line depth. They didn't have it before they brought back Jason Peters. Losing Brandon Brooks was a massive blow as well because he's probably the best right guard in football. But given what we saw from Andre Dillard during training camp before his injury, do you think this is really the worst case scenario for the Eagles, Chris? I actually really do because I know Jason Peters has a lot, and I do mean a lot of experience over the left tackle, but he's going to have to go back there because it necessitates everything. I think this really, really shines a light on the depth that this offensive line has or lack thereof. It's still, you, when it comes to Jason Peters, I mean, how many times do we see availability? He'd had to leave series last year when it came to a lot of the games, either when it came to arm or leg or what, what have you. And now, if you lose Peters, you're just stuck with either Jordan Maialata. You may have to swing prior over there. You may have to go out and look to see who can fill it. Or you may have to put a, a rookie in. You may have to put either Prince Tega Wanago or I think they basically been moving Driscoll over to right. But if really worst case scenario, you have to shift him over to the left side, which is, is going to be a little rough. So I think just the amount of influx that offensive line does and now the whole shell game you have to have in order to protect Carson Wentz's blind side. Uh, it, it's especially in this close to the beginning of the season, uh, it's, it's not the best time for something like this to happen. I mean, you never want to see injuries happen at any time, but considering when it has happened, it's, it's, it's not great. Well, call me Philadelphia Picasso because I'm going to paint you a prettier picture here, okay? <laughs> okay. Here's I'll the positive spin on this, okay? For one, Jason Peters was playing at a high level at left tackle last season when healthy. You now have him at left tackle. You know what he is. You know what you're going to get from him. He's also in great shape. Uh, He's an upgrade at left tackle as far as I'm concerned. Now you're worried about right guard. Everybody thought Matt Pryor was going to be the starting right guard to begin with. 
So now he's going to be back at right guard. The Eagles feel really good about him. He's also been practicing at right tackle as well. So he's still getting reps with the first team. He understands what, how, you know, he's got a rhythm to it. Now he's going to move into right guard. Um, I think he can be a pretty good right guard. He showed a lot of promise against the Seahawks last season during the playoffs. And then I think when you're looking at, uh, when you're looking at, from from just like a depth standpoint, they've been using Nate Herbig with the first team offense as well at right guard. He can play left guard. He can play center. Uh, Matt or Jack Driscoll um, is also looking quite good at right tackle. He has looked good at left guard. You know he can play multiple positions. So you know both the guard positions have really solid depth. He's been with Matt Pryor moving up and on the depth chart. Prince Dago and Nagu has looked good in team drills. Casey Tuhill had kind of his way with him a couple of times today in practice, but I think Winagu has a lot of upside. I thought he was one of the steals of the draft. Uh, he's clearly recovered from the meniscus surgery he had this offseason. I think he's in better position to take over for Jason Peters than Jordan Melata, who I st- like. You took notes on him today. I still don't think he should make the team. I still don't know how you make him one hit away from from putting him into a game when he's never played in a meaningful game in his life. And he's had, I think six to seven preseason games. Just to me, I don't think that that's a really smart move, especially from a roster management standpoint, but from a play calling standpoint, how do you think this affects the way the Eagles are going to block and use, especially the running game? Well, it's going to, it's going to have to, it may have to affect, affect it dramatically. I mean, just think about this. Week one right now, you have Chase Young that may be lining up at that right defensive end going against Jason Peters, who's not prime Jason Peters. I mean, he's still a great athletic player, but he's not what he was in his prime. You're going to have to either go put a tight end on that side to go help him out with that zone blocking scheme, or you're, even when it comes to pass in a, in a pass game. If you want to really, really, truly feel like you want to go and protect Carson Wentz's blind side, if you leave him out, Chase Young on an island, Jason Peters right now, I'm I'm leaning the edge to Chase Young. That's just me personally. So you're going to either have to go ahead and shift your backs going on that backside. You're going to probably have to play a lot of 12 personnel now in order to go ahead and keep either Ertz or Goddard in there to block just in case. Or you're going to have to have Miles Sanders, Boston Scott, what have you, come out the backfield and chip him just in order to make sure you try to slow this down. And that just shifts personnel-wise. And we've been talking so much about how fast these new receivers are now, if you have to go 12 personnel, you have to keep one of those fast receivers off. So it's there's little it's just a domino effect with this injury to Dillard. And that's why that's another reason why I'm really concerned about this. So I think, you know, before you join the beat, I was very adamant that the Eagles needed to bring in an experienced swing tackle for this very reason. Um, I think when you're looking at the dynamics of the position, the Eagles value quarterback, backup quarterback, left tackle, right tackle, and defensive end more than anything. And I think they're at a point right now where they really need to, you know, hone in on getting some depth in that area. I feel good about their right tackle situation. I think Driscoll's fine there. I think their guard position's fine when you have Herbig and Driscoll. Uh, I, I even feel good about backup center with Herbig and Jeriga, who I think now makes the roster if they don't do anything it's the backup left tackle spot that I'm concerned about that said you know Isaac Samalu can play tackle you know Lane Johnson can move over there you know Matt Pryor can play right tackle obviously 
Coach Stoutland has, has said in the past that he doesn't want to move guys around. And I get that, you know. Um, oh, man, I'm going to get so much uh, beef from other beat writers because I called him Coach Stoutland. But Jeff Stoutland has said that, you know, you know, he's a guy I have a lot of respect for, but he, he's a guy that, that doesn't believe in adjusting two positions to make one better. And I think that's where there's a problem and a disconnect potentially here. Um, they're going to have to check the, the waiver wire. They're going to have to look at free agency. They're going to have to look into trades. Um, and, and talking about trades and making roster moves, uh, the Eagles have made some roster moves this offseason I, I, or this week. I don't want to move away from Dillard because Dillard's still the main overarching topic. But I think from my perspective, they've brought in a lot of guys that fans have kind of taken to. They've heard of T.Y. McGill. They've heard of Trevor Williams. They've heard um, of Tyrone Swoops. Those three guys are in here to take reps. They're trying to win a practice squad spot because at this point, with the COVID virus, the NFL is allowing six players of any experience to be on the practice squad. They cut Trevor Williams before training camp. They clearly don't love him that much. Uh, T.Y. McGill was here in 2018 for a second. I think he's more of a, hey, Philip Reps guy while Javon Hargrave is out. They're running through padded practices. Anthony Rush has dealt with an illness, you know, Vinny Curry's, uh, you know, out with an injury. So they need to fill up reps. Sidney Jones' sidelines, so you have Trevor Williams. Uh, Tyrone Swoops is a guy that's taking over for Josh Perkins, who got put on IR. Um, but I think as we see these injuries take hold, it, we've got to look at this roster because this roster is going to be very young. There's a very good chance that... 11 to 13 rookies are on this 53-man roster this year. When you look at the 10 draft picks, who I think all 10 will make this team, uh, and then you look at like three to four undrafted players who have a real shot at making this roster. Um, I wrote a piece earlier this week about the four undrafted guys who I think have a very good shot. I think three of them will make it. I think Noah Tongiai, uh, the tight end, I think he's the clear favor for the number three job. Doug Peterson recently brought him up. Um, I think when you look at uh, um, Graylin Arnold, who hasn't stood out as much this week, but I just think they really like his versatility when you talk about the positionless secondary. And then Luke Jariga, the center, uh, you know, with, with Dillard going down, if they don't look for another offensive lineman, to me, he's offensive lineman number nine, if we're taking Dillard out of the equation. Um, you've been somebody who's big on underdogs this offseason. Who are guys that have kind of stood out and maybe can stick out even further with some of these injuries to Josh Perkins and Rob Davis and Andre Dillard and, uh, you know, even Vinnie Curry? Who, who are some guys that you think will benefit from these injuries as unfortunate as they are? That's a tough one. I think Jariga, like you said, I think Jariga, especially as a center, I think he possible. I think he could possibly play a little bit guard too, personally for me, but I think he's going to be a person that's going to go ahead and benefit. But also I think when it comes to weapons wise, I think Adrian Killens. I think you're going to need all hands on deck when it comes to somebody who shows versatility, especially if you have an illness or what have you on either the running back or wide receiver section and positions. I think you're going to need somebody who's able to do that. Now, my one Dark Horse was actually cut already, uh, RIP uh, Eagles career, Dante Olsen. But <laughs> I thought he was going to be somebody good, but that, it was good, good, bad on that one too. 
But I think Raylan Arnold, I think he's going to be somebody, uh, even though, like you said, he didn't have a great week this week and availability. But I think Raylan Arnold is going to be somebody who's going to sneak in on the back end of that roster, especially with, I think, the situations that we see with uh, Sidney Jones and Russell Douglas. I, I think he's, an, he's another guy that comes in. But overall, I think those will be the main guys. And actually, <laughs> I got to say this, even though he's a long shot, I'm still looking at Matt Leo's actually been playing really pretty well during his training camp. I mean, he's he's made some grant granted it's the second team and third team guys on that offensive line and seeing what we've seen lately with this <laughs> the, the depth is, issues and some struggles some of these guys have had. Matt Leo's actually looked pretty well r- rushing the passer. So uh, he's another guy I don't think he makes makes it long term, but on the practice squad I think he's all right and I think he has a an, a decent future possibly as a as a back of the uh back of the position guy in the NFL. Well, you know, the Eagles have that international player pr- pathway program exemption for him, so he doesn't count against the roster right now and he also wouldn't count against the practice squad, so they can develop him long term. So that's good to hear. I I noticed him a little bit today. I didn't really notice him a ton prior to that. Um so speaking of like roster battles and stuff like that, I wanted to talk to you about what I think is the most intriguing um, position battle that I think still needs to be settled. I think there's maybe three or four spots that are probably unclaimed just based on my outlook towards the 53-man roster. I might be wrong. There might be more. There might be less. But just kind of looking at the at the whole pizza pie here, I think... Uh, the fifth cornerback spot is extremely interesting to me because you've got two former day two picks in Rasul Douglas and Sidney Jones. And then you've got the special team standout from last year, Craig James. Now today, uh, Sidney Jones was in pads, but just like yesterday, he didn't take part in team drills. And while he was on the sideline, we saw some good moments from both James and Douglas. I think Right now, those guys are neck and neck. The thing is, both of them play special teams. Jones really doesn't. Jones has been sidelined. He's been unavailable. So I do wonder if the Eagles are at this point right now where they're just like, you know what, let's sit him out of practice and maybe see if we can chop him. Now at this point, maybe for a swing tackle uh, to a team that's having quarterback issues. But, uh, you know, where do you stand with James and Douglas? I know you were kind of bigger on Douglas than Jones, but are, are are you in on James? I saw looking at today, I will say this. James has shown a lot of effort. He's shown a lot of speed getting to the ball, and he will contest catches. That being said, I think if it came down to either Craig James or Russell Douglas, I want to stick with Russell Douglas. I know I'm wavering back and forth. It, it pretty much goes week to week with Russell Douglas. Sometimes he's he's like, okay, you feel good about it. Sometimes he's infuriating. But I think James James has been a little – James has been on a right. I think uh, – Depending on the receiver he's onto it, maybe it's just a high thing. I know Hightower's gotten the best of him a couple of times, but I think Rasul Douglas overall, if you're going to go between those two, I think Douglas, at least you know you have a veteran that's going to go back there that knows the system already, that will go ahead and and go ahead. I think will be more – how do I say this? I think he will contribute a little bit more as well too. And one thing, I don't know if you've seen this well too, it seems like Rasul Douglas is getting on more and more special teams and they're trying to out a little bit places too just to see – if he will be, if he can contribute in those areas as well. So I know he played special teams here and there last year, but I think between the two, given the two, I think I'm going to go over Sol Douglas. I mean, what do you think? So Craig James was part of the self-proclaimed Fab Five of special teams players last year. That was TJ Edwards, um, uh, Alex Singleton, Duke Riley, Nathan Gary, and of course, Craig James. 
And Craig was the only cornerback in that group. All the rest of the guys were linebackers. Look, I think, I think Craig James is a guy who can actually benefit this team on defense as well. Um, I think Douglas of the two has trade value. I think if I'm the Eagles, I'm probably shopping both Sidney Jones and Rasul Douglas. And if I can get anything for either one of them, I'm feeling good about myself. I just kind of think you're at a point here where do you trust Douglas to be in this positionless quote unquote backfeet or secondary? Like that to me is like, I just don't see where he fits. Like I agree that he's a better corner than Craig James. I think he's a better corner really at this point than Sidney Jones from what I've seen. But like, does he fit right? Like to me, he's, he's either a press man corner or he's playing cover three, like basically all the time. And so to me, do you trade into a team like Atlanta or Seattle who might have some cornerback depth issues? Maybe you can get a backup offensive tackle or a backup running back from them. Kind of cure some of your woes elsewhere. Um, you know, that that's my thing. But I, I think I think we're kind of on the same page. I think both of us don't feel 100% great about either guy. But, like, to me, that's what makes this battle so intriguing. Um, and then I think... As we, you know, sorry, our format, I know we've previously been doing a lot of sound clips. I just think with the news of Dillard and so much going on today that we really need to touch on this. And this is uh, something that I kind of wanted to talk about. We try not to get political on here, but this to me is not a political issue. This is a human issue. Um, You know, with, with the social climate right now, Eagles players decided to practice today. Doug Peterson held a meeting last night to discuss, um, the recent uh, police-involved shooting um, of another person of color. And I I just think, you know, we got to listen to Carson Wentz and Roddy McLeod and Jalen Mills today. And Chris, I was wondering what your main takeaways were from all of this. Well, first of all, I think compared to, compared, who would have thought two, like two, even two years before, would we even be talking about stuff like this? And the fact that we have, it's, it's the top of mind that unfortunately it's come through a number of police involved shootings, but at least it looks like some stuff is, will be addressed and you'll have not only African-American and black players be involved, but you have everybody from all races involved in heading to the right and toward the right direction. And Ronnie McLeod said something that I thought was a, a very important statement and that the owners have to be part of this as well too now. He said that when it came to a lot of the owners, a lot of them would say behind in a locker room or privately to a lot of these players that they were behind them 100 percent when it came to their views and it came to uh, making some social reforms. But how many times have you seen owners, in it, not just the NFL but in any sport, actually come out and say, "Hey, you know what? We're behind you guys 100 percent. I want to use my voice to go ahead and say, you know what? This is wrong." You don't find that many. At all. I mean, how many t- how many teams do you think actually have social justice councils like the Eagles do? I think this moving so far in the right direction is still a long, long, long ways to go. And there's a lot of times when I think a personal experience has been through things, my family, my friends that I know. I mean, even Jalen Mills, the, the story he told of being inside of a movie theater as a teenager and then seeing your friend basically accosted by a police officer tased in the face and had to wear a patch on his face because the skin burnt off due to a taser is really powerful stuff. It's stuff that no child, no adult, nobody should ever have to go through at all. 
And to see everybody spend time and talk about this and share it, even different views. I, I'm not, there are a lot of people with different views from, or different from me when it comes to that. And I get it, but at least listen and empathize and understand. And you see, and Carson Wentz talked about it. He's empathizing. I mean, as a guy from New, North Dakota who only saw a couple of black, uh, black people when he was in high school, to see here the way he's talking about this and wanting to help and wanting to use his platform as well, it's just great to hear. And I'm hoping that this continues long term beyond not just two, three weeks, and then we just go back to life as usual. I hope this is something that is sustaining and it goes on from here on out. Yeah, and you brought up Carson Wentz, and I thought he said something very, very poignant. He said, I no longer, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, I no longer can make the excuse that I'm a white kid from North Dakota. You know, he's grown. He, he's experienced other cultures. He's experienced other cities. He's exper- his eyes are open now. And I thought that that was very interesting and, and, and very self-reflective and very self-aware. Um, and as he becomes a bigger leader in the NFL and in life, and as, as you know, he's, he's a new father and, and as someone who has a 19 month old, I understand how having a child changes your entire outlook on life, whether it's positive, negative, uh, in any direction or, or in any focus in any event. And I think, um, we're having these difficult conversations, but they're conversations that are necessary, whether you fall in any line uh, of the argument. I think that they're very important to have because we as a culture have freedom of speech and that speech is very important to use. Um, switching gears now, I wanted to talk about uh, the link uh, not having fans for the foreseeable future or until further notice, quote unquote. Uh, the Eagles, the city of Philadelphia, and the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania announced today that there will not be any uh, fans in the stands uh, for the foreseeable future. The Eagles have their home opener in week two against the Rams on September 20th. I understand you have some some news, Chris. Yes, uh, and if you're looking to go ahead and tailgate during these games, since you're not technically on a lot, uh, good luck doing this. I actually reached out to the city of Philadelphia this afternoon just to you know just to see hey, you know what, since the link's closed, to go ahead and check out CV Tailgate. This is from uh, Deputy Communications Director Kelly Cofrancisco saying that tailgating will not be permitted on the grounds or anywhere around the area, such as Wells Fargo Center, Citizens Bank Park. says, quote, tailgating will not be permitted. The city will be working with the Eagles, other sports teams, property owners, and Stadium District Special Services District to enforce the prohibition. So if you're thinking about going ahead and getting the grill out or just hanging out with some friends and beer outside uh, outside the stadium uh don't look for don't plan on doing that at all prohibition not a word that we like to hear but you know it's a harsh reality of of the coronavirus and you know um it's unfortunate because as we've noted in our observations this team has been pretty exciting to watch during training camp i mean the young wide receivers are, are really putting on highlight reels on a daily basis. We're looking at John Hightower make these great leaping catches. We're, we've got Quez Watkins making catches in traffic. There's Jalen Rager, who is automatic on slant routes. There's, um, you know, J.J. Sigal-Whiteside, who owned the red zone over the last few days and actually looked really good in the open field today because they're using him like they used him at Stanford. Um, this young receiver group looks good. And I think the Eagles are going to have an interesting 
but good problem to have uh, figuring out who's going to start. Because right now, if, if Alshon Jeffrey starts off on PUP, my ideal trio would actually be Deshaun Jackson at the Z receiver spot, J.J. Arcega Whiteside at the X spot, and then Jalen Rager inside in the slot. I don't think that's what it'll end up being. I actually think it'll be Rager at the X spot instead of Arcega Whiteside and then Ward in the slot. Um, but I do think that Arcega Whiteside's been more uh, impressive than Ward. I think Hightower and Quez Watkins are having really good practice sessions, but so did J.J. Arcega Whiteside last year. So I think it'll be interesting to see how all this kind of shakes out. Um, when we're looking at this, I also think when we look at kind of the overall dynamic of the team, the running backs have impressed me more than I thought they would. I know you were high on them early on in camp. Uh, they, Elijah Holyfield's the guy who, in my opinion, is the front runner for the fourth running back spot. I think Adrian Killens is kind of nipping at his heels. But um, I, I, what's a position that you think's impressed you over over the last couple of days? You, you were right when it comes to that running back spot. I think Elijah Holyfield, he's showing a lot of power. And that's why, like, and one thing I was looking for in that running back position was who was going to be that nasty guy to lower his shoulder when you get on a third one, third and two. And even though you're probably going to have Sanders in there, but just in case you need an extra one or two yards, I wouldn't mind putting Holyfield in there. He's throwing, and not only is he showing physically that he's able to do it, he's bringing his little attitude around as well, too, so much so that he's getting the defense kind of hyped up he's going around for like every you see him finish up a block I forget who he put his shoulder into but he put a shoulder into knocks my ground was talking you can't mess with me you can't bleep and mess with me and walks back to the huddle that way too got the defense a little riled up but i think holy feels looking good killings like you said is a good swing he, he could as, as his versatility could be as well too one person i thought that would really have a good camp and be that person that could really push was michael warren and unfortunately it is he's tailing off it looks as, as camp progresses he has his moments where he looks good but i think the fact there's no preseason games is help not helping him either and he's 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 further falling further and further from the pack so i definitely think the running backs are, <laughs> there weren't running backs a position of we've been talking a lot of weaknesses running back is definitely a position of strength i see for this team yeah i mean i think uh when we're talking about like depth and everything I actually think corners looked okay. I think safeties looked good. I, you know, linebacker, whatever. Uh, defensive line has looked good, even with the plethora of injuries that they've had. Um, you know, we should note, Jannard Avery suffered a bone bruise, reportedly, as opposed to anything major after he was carted off the field on Wednesday. I really thought he was done. Uh, it looked bad. So um, there's that. But I still think Joe Osman, who was out of practice today with a lower body injury, and Casey Tuhill have looked remarkably better during practice. Um, and then I think, you know, the offensive line's really the major concern, especially left tackle. Uh, even with Jason Peters starting, it's still kind of something that you worry about because you know he's going to take off a few plays per game, potentially due to injury or, or soreness, or he could miss three to four games, you know, during the season. That's just his MO. So, uh, I think the Eagles really need to figure out that spot over the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, there's just two more uh, real training, legit training camp practices left, and that'll be this weekend, uh, barring any changes due to the social justice conversation or what have you. Uh, so I, I think we should we should close out this whole thing with a segment that we've been looking forward to 
called The Great Potato Debate 2020. Now, <laughs> I put out a tweet earlier this week saying that potato wedges are significantly better than French fries. Uh, I was met with a firestorm of comments, uh, questions, concerns. Um, and, you know, we don't like to be political on this show, as I've said, but I think this is a debate worth having given the social climate that revolves around potatoes. Uh, well, I should say the social media climate that revolves around potatoes. Uh, so, Chris, why are French fries better than potato wedges, in your opinion? I'll start out by saying this, Mike. I thought we were friends at first when you, but when you made that wedges comment, I had to seriously, 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 seriously rethink everything that was going on. But I'm going to start. I'm going to go back to my QB routes, my QB roots, and explain why French fries are way the regular French fries are better than wedges. I'm going to look at. I'm going to a restaurant, and I'm just going to look at. I'm going to look at the progressions. Regular fries are my go. They're my nine route. They're my go route. They're my home run hitter. I'm going to get the ball to that one too. When you get like a McDonald's or a Wendy's or Checkers, especially oh, Checkers fries are good. But when you go to one of those places, it just tastes. It just tastes amazing. If they don't have that there, I'm going to go to my second pr- progression, which is probably the dig, which is aka the waffle fries. I'm going to go for Chick Fil A, or even if I feel like, hey, you want to go put it in the oven, get some more other ones seasoned. That's great. It gets you the first down. It go, you keep moving the ball. Then you go to wedges. Wedges to me, I don't. They're, they're the check down routes of fries. They're the ones that are like it's third and fifteen. I, I don't want to throw the ball away. I don't. Wanna, I got to throw it there. I don't want to feel like I have a mouth guard in my mouth when it comes an edible mouth guard in my mouth when I want to go ahead and do something like that. And, and for those people, I know somebody said curly fries. Curly fries are like the Taysom Hill of fries. They're gadget fries. They're, they're there, but if you have to eat them over and over and over, and, they're there, and, and over time, you, they get exposed. So I pass to that. I mean, how are you going to convince me that wedges are, 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 are the best thing ever? I'm sorry. I just can't see it. So I'm going to take the offensive line route on this one, okay? So okay. Andre Dillard, <laughs> as a rookie, you know, he got there were questions about if he was soft, if he struggled against strength, if he didn't have care, bear enough weight. That's what French fries are to me. They're a dime a dozen. You know, you don't want like a left tackle who's a dime a dozen. You want a guy who can anchor. You want some strength. You real want to feel fulfilled in your blocking, right? As an offensive lineman, that's what wedges are to me. Wedges fulfill you. You know, if you're having a lighter entree, you need a a strong, you know, supporting cast. And I think when we look at the offensive line, if you've got a bunch of, you know, stoutness up front, you're feeling good about your quarterback play, your main entree, because you're protecting him by softening the blow of maybe you know, a quarterback who's like Kyler Murray, who's a little small. Maybe you got like a five ounce steak. Ugh, rough. But like, let's say you get a petite steak. If you've got wedges, they can fill you up. Let's say an entree doesn't come with with a salad and a side. If you have potato wedges, that's going to be more fulfilling. I, I just think like you get more bang for your buck with potato wedges. And as somebody who lived in the South for so long, you know, you go to Bojangles, you 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 go to Publix, and they have the best wedges ever. They make the meal to me. 
So that's why I'm going to go up with the stout guys in the trenches, which are the potato wedges. I've seen people say, you know, what about steak fries? Eh, forget steak fries. French fries are great. You know, they're the Demetrius Bell of, of <laughs> potatoes. <laughs> you can put Demetrius them in there. <laughs> make it do things. They might have a relationship with Carl Malone. They might not. I don't know. Um, but to me, wedges are king. And look, wedges are also higher class, in my opinion. You know, you only get those at nicer restaurants or nicer takeout places. French fries, everybody serves them. You know, it's like when everybody's like, yeah, that guy can play left tackle. He'll be all right. And then he goes out there and pulls a Winston Justice and gives up like six sacks in one game. (laughs) That's what French fries are because it's so easy to screw them up. They can be bland. They can be oversalted. With wedges, you know what you're getting. You're getting the potato. And that's why... Wedges should win the great tomato, uh, tomato, uh, sorry, potato debate 2020. If you guys have a take on the wedges, please drop a line in the comment section, give us a five-star review, and then tell us about your wedge, uh, wedge or fry standing. These two parties have been going at it for decades. Uh, you know, it's gotten kind of nasty, especially with the salt uh, content in both. But to me, it's a, it's a home run with the wedges. So from there, let's do our closing thoughts as we kind of wrap up uh, this whole podcast, the No Huddle Show podcast, that is, um, where you can download us on anywhere, basically, that you can download podcasts. Make sure you do it. You can also sign up for Eagles Extra. It's in all of our articles on ng.com in the sports section. Uh, Two-week free trial. You can ask Chris and I like anything you want, pretty much. You basically just get to text us your Eagles questions. You can ask us about wedges. You can ask us about fries. You can have us debate something else, and we'll typically answer those questions on air if we decide to do a mailbag episode, uh, which we're going to try to do more often. But Chris, what are your final thoughts as we wrap up here? I think I'll start my final thoughts with Demetrius Bell and Winston Justice references. That was great. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh... (laughs) I think one guy who I think who may not be getting as much pub right now because of his counterpart is Nickel Roby Coleman. I mean, every, each day that goes on and you see him out there, I think I think he's going to be a lot of one person who a lot of people are going to be pleasantly surprised with. I think especially with a lot of the headlines going towards Slay or Avante Max, Nickel Roby, Roby Coleman is going to be somebody who you'll feel comfortable enough with manning the slide or outside, depending which other side that Slay is going to cover. So I will say this. I'll give Howie Roseman a lot of credit. That was a great signing. I think he made the Rams definitely weaker. I think he made the Eagles stronger. I think he's making Greg Ward a better slot receiver. He's been, there's been a lot of, sometimes when watching, he's been giving Greg Ward the business at times, but that, that's been a great battle to watch between the two of those. But I think, uh, anybody who follows his team this year is it, going to be comfortable for the first time in a long time at who's manning the nickel corner. And to that point, let's stick with the secondary. My final, final thoughts are on Jalen Mills, who I think has looked a lot more natural at the safety position than a lot of people thought he would. He's looked a lot more natural than he did at corner. Um, he had two interceptions this week. I just feel like he looks very confident. He's very vocal back there. It seems like he just knows where he is. He's tackling well. Uh, he's present, and I think he just is more natural looking at the quarterback. 
I think he's got ball skills, so that helps the secondary as well. They haven't had a lot of interceptions at the safety position over the years. So I, I look, I think the Jalen Mills is is having a camp to be proud of, and I think Eagles fans will be surprised with how well he plays at safety. Well, that will wrap it up for the No Huddle Show podcast uh, on August 27th, 2020, the day that Andre Dillard uh, tore his bicep. Um, you can download us anywhere where you can download podcasts. As I said earlier, uh, sign up for Eagles Extra. It's a two-week free trial. You can check out the rest of our training camp notes. You'll get exclusive news notes and nuggets sent straight to your phone. You can avoid social media and the Twitter storm and the negativity on social media and just get all the information sent to your phone. It's a really great program, and you can text with us. That's the coolest thing of all. You can ask us your questions. You can get insight that you wouldn't get on the website or maybe social media. And we're having a good time with it. Uh, the people that are on there right now, we have a nice little community um, that we, we communicate with. So that's been pretty cool. Uh, we will see you guys next Thursday unless the Eagles make a big move, which maybe they will now that Andre Dillard's on the shelf. We'll see you soon. 